Amen. Welcome. We are continuing our series titled Lemons this week, and we are going to be focusing on Job, the story of Job. And so Job is a very familiar book. Um, It's actually a poetic literature, and it's very familiar not only to Christians, but to non-Christians in the world, um, because the book of Job raises some questions for us, like, why do good people suffer? And it also brings into question the character of God, and what is the point of suffering? And so, today I want you to know that I have a Um, a healthy dose of humility and fear as I am preaching this morning. Because as we are talking about and focusing on suffering, I know that for each one of us, we carry different burdens, different amounts of weight with our suffering. For some of us, maybe we are currently going through some suffering and some hard times and some difficulties. And so, I pray that today that it would be the Lord's words that are speaking and not my own, and I pray that the truth of the gospel is what you would hear this morning. So, we are going to be going through the entire book of Job today. That is 42 chapters, all right? And so that's a lot. Um, We could easily do an entire series on the book of Job. There's actually, I found out there was a Puritan preacher in the 17th century by the name of Joseph Carroll. And Joseph Carroll preached on the book of Job for 23 years. I bet his congregation size tripled. Um, But can you imagine, can you imagine like you're going to this church as a teenager, then you have like this prodigal son moment where you leave the church and you go and you live your wayward ways. And then you decide you have kids and like your kids growing up. You're like, you know what? I just don't know how to be a parent. I need to take my kids to church. It's been 20 years since I've been and you show up and he's still going through Job. Can you imagine that? Um, we are going to be much quicker. We're going to fly over the book of Job today, um, but we are going to try to um, get as much out of it as we can. So let's see today, what did Job do with the lemons that were given to him in his life? Job chapter 1, verse 1, we're introduced to Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. You see that Job, I don't believe, was just the greatest man in the east because of his wealth, but also throughout the story we can see that he was the greatest man because of his character, because of his upstanding um, way that he served and loved God, that Job was the greatest man in the world. And then we are taken from that introduction to Job in verse 6, where we are taken to a conversation in the heavenly realm. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So the sons of God, these are angels, these are the heavenly hosts, and we see that Satan is also there. Satan, this word that means accuser or the one opposed to God. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. I think it's important for us to stop right there and realize that 
As Satan is going to and fro on the earth, he's not picking dandelions and blowing them into the air. Satan is not walking and laying in a cool river. He is doing what Satan does at his very nature. He is causing evil and destruction and death in the world, right? And so as God does this next thing, he is not inviting Satan to go do evil. this guy. Of all the people, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Sorry, that's going to throw me off for at least five minutes. Okay, Um, but Satan, um, God, what God does is he directs Satan's aim of his destruction, of his evil ways. And so in verse 8, we see that the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. There's that same phrase that we saw earlier. Then Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face, God. And so God presents Job to Satan, and God allows Satan to reach out his hand on everything that Job has, but not Job himself. And so we see that in one night, in one night, Job finds out that all of his oxen and his donkeys were stolen by a group of people, and all of the servants working with those oxen and donkeys were killed. And that same night, he finds out that all of his camels were stolen by another group of people, and all of those servants of Job were killed. And at the same time as that, a fire comes through, and it consumes all of his sheep and the servants of his sheep. That's a pretty bad day at the office. But not only that, we see that Job gets the news that a storm, maybe a tornado, something with strong winds came and blew down his oldest son's house. And his house was collapsed. And who was in that house but all of Job's children. And so in one night, he loses all his possessions. He loses all of his children. And so in this moment, how is Job going to respond? Well, we know that heaven and hell are all watching because they were there for that conversation. And what does Job do? Verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped and said, He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord that Job worshiped when everything that he had was just taken from him. He proved Satan wrong. Satan thought that he was going to curse God. But even in his mourning, Job blessed the name of God. And so we have another heavenly council meeting. And Satan comes to God and he argues that the only reason that Job um, didn't curse God is because, he, yeah, he got all his things taken away, but he still has his health. And so God grants Satan permission to attack Job's health as long as he does not kill Job. And so Job is inflicted with sores, with wounds from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then we hear that Job has a wife. I didn't think about that, but 
if you have a wife and you're going through all this, at least you have a wife to be there to care for you, for your wounds, to clean up your sores. We see in Job chapter 2, verse 9, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Cool. You would think that when Satan was taking everything away from Job, he took all his children, he would also take his wife, but he realized that his wife was actually going to do more torment to Job alive than dead. (laughs) That's Job's wife, not most wives. But Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. So in the first two chapters of Job, what do we see? Well, we see that one, our first point, God, or Job was faithful to God. That in the hardest days of Job's life, twice we see that Job was still faithful to God. He still trusted in God because he knew and he believed that God was a good God. That God had given him all those things, and if God takes those away, that is God's right to do so. That he still praised God in the storm. He still praised God when the world was crashing down on him. When no one else could see it, Job still believed it. That God is good. And so, how do you respond in times of suffering? How do you respond when the world hits? When the things of this world seem like they're crashing down on you and you are being attacked by the enemy, the accuser? Do you praise God in the storm or do you turn away from God? As we move into chapter 3, we're going to see this discourse between Job and his friends. And if you thought his wife was bad, well, it just gets better. We see that there's a conversation between Job and his friends. And one of his friends' name is Bildad the Shuhite, the shortest man in the Bible. He was as high as a shoe. Shuhite? Okay, all right. (laughs) Woo! That's a lame Bible joke that I thought was going to get at least six chuckles. Um, Throughout this conversation, um, we're going to see our second point, and that is that Job was honest with God. Not only is Job faithful to God, but he is honest with God, because in this next part of the book, we're going to see that Job enters a dark place in his soul. That even though Job was able to turn to God and worship him, Job begins to suffer, and he begins to get dark, and he begins to question everything. He actually even curses the day that he was born. And so Job and his friends are trying to figure out why did this suffering happen to Job? This seemingly good man. So for the next 35 chapters, Job and his friends are going to go back and forth trying to figure out why did this happen? So Job's friends' understanding is this that God is a just God. And because God is a just God, he rules justly, and that means that he rewards good with good, and he rewards bad with bad. He rewards evil with punishment. He rewards good with blessings. And then um, if that is true, if God is just and that's how God operates, then that means that surely Job must have done something evil. Friends there to comfort 
their friend who is suffering and they tell him, surely you did something wrong, Job. Surely you messed up. Just go ahead and tell us, Job. Tell us what it is that you did to deserve this punishment. And the more and more they talk, the more and more dark Job becomes. And the more and more Job begins to declare his innocence. Job says, I am innocent. I promise you I have not done anything against the Lord. And as we see in the, book of, in, in the beginning of the book, that Job had not done anything wrong. That Job was upstanding and innocent and blameless before God. And so Job begins to question, is God actually just? Because if this is what a just God does, as he rewards evil with punishment, and I didn't do anything evil, is God actually just? And he begins to question, is God a bully? Does God even care about us down here? And at one point, he even says that all injustice and all evil comes from God himself. And throughout this 35 chapters, Job goes back and forth with his friends, but he also goes back and forth in his mind because while he starts to question if God is just or not, he always comes back to saying, there's a famous verse, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he keeps coming back to that. And so every time Job says that God maybe isn't just, he also says, but I know that he is because I know God. But Job doesn't understand, but he's honest. And he's honest with the Lord in his struggle and in his suffering. But these two points we see, Tim Keller would call these the two basic responses to suffering, um, that people typically have one of these two responses. And the friend's response is what we call moralism. And so that is basically believing that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. That's just the way it is. And so if that's the case, that means that I'm going to try my best to be as good as I can, and I'm going to honor God with my life, then God's going to bless me with the things that I want and the things that I pray for. We know that that's not true. That is a religious view that many Christians, but also a lot of other religions believe. But that is not the gospel. That is anti-gospel. And then we see Job's perspective, and that is called cynicism. Cynicism is this idea that if God is just, then he would make none of this suffering happen. If God was a good God, then that means that he wouldn't allow us to go through the suffering of this world, that Job wouldn't go through all the things that he went through if God was just, if God was real. And so this is often a secular worldview um, held by either atheists or agnostics. Because atheists would say that the, the fact that they're suffering proves that there's not a God. So I, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that there can be a God because they're suffering. Then the agnostics will say, well, there might be a God. I don't know. But if God is allowing the suffering to happen, that's a God that I don't want to serve. That's a God that I don't want to believe in and I don't want any part of. And so we have this moralism that's not right. We have the cynicism that's not right. So his friends don't find an answer to this problem. And so Job turns away from his friends. He's had enough with them. He's done talking. They just make him feel bad. So he turns his focus to God. And what Job does is Job demands answers from God Almighty himself. And so God shows up. In the form of a storm cloud, God shows up above Job. But what happens is that Job is not the one asking the questions. What happens is that God starts to speak and God asks Job a series of questions. That just, that just, in my mind, has to be scary. 
If you put your foot down, God, I demand answers, and then a storm cloud forms, and then he starts talking, like, oh, okay, let me backtrack a little bit. What I, what I had meant to say was, um, but God begins to ask Job about 60 questions, and I just have a few of them listed here. He starts off with, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's a pretty basic one. Job, who was it that gave the seas its borders? Do you have the ability to loosen the cords of Orion? Hey, Job, can you even tame a wild ox to serve you? Job, was it you who gave the horse his strength? Are you the one who taught the eagle how to make a nest for the first time? And can you call that eagle down from the high rock to come to you? And he even goes into questions like, Job, do you know the patterns of, um, or the birthing patterns of goats? Nope. <laughs> like, and so what we see is that God asks Job these questions about the universe, about how it works. And he asks Job, what do you have the power to do? What knowledge do you have? And this is Job's response in chapter 40, verse 4. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job realizes he overstepped his bounds. Job realizes that he was questioning God Almighty and he had no place to question God because he was able to see the majesty, the grandeur, the awesomeness of the God who created the universe and holds it together. And he is the one who taught the ego how to make a nest. He is the one who holds the constellations together. He is the one who laid the foundation of the earth. And Job says, behold, I am small. I will not speak any further. But God continues to talk. <laughs> God introduces some creatures to us. He introduces behemoth and leviathan. And so he introduces these animals that are mighty and powerful creatures. They are far greater than any other animal we could think of. And he describes these animals as killing without even a second thought. He describes these animals as being able to crush steel, to crush metal. And God describes these animals, these creatures, and they are a symbol of death and destruction. They are a symbol of destroying humanity, destroying um, just other animals in their path, whatever is before them, they will conquer it. And maybe you've heard of Behemoth, maybe you've heard of Leviathan. I think they are often portrayed in movies or games or books um, that people love this idea of this animal that is too big to conquer. That just the thought of one of these creatures is meant to strike fear into the hearts of mortal men, right? And that is what he is trying to do to Job. He's trying to get Job to realize that these animals, these creatures are so powerful, so dangerous that you should be scared of them. But what does God say? God tells Job, I created these creatures the same way I created you. Job, just as I created you, I created these creatures. And even though you may look at them, you may see death and destruction, even though you may look at these animals and you may think that they have no purpose on earth, I created them in the same way 
that I created you, Job. And another thing, Job, Leviathan, I can call him out of the depths of the ocean with a fish hook. This creature that has been created in our culture and in our day and age to be too big to conquer. God says, a fish hook. And I can call him out. And you know what, Job? I actually have a leash on Leviathan that he only goes and does as far as I allow him to go and as much as I allow him to do. That God displays his power, his wisdom. He proves that he is in perfect control of all of the universe. Every last detail. And if he's able to control every last detail of the stars, of the galaxies, of the depths of the sea, is he not also able to manage our suffering? Job responds once more. Verse four, or chapter 42, verse 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and I will make it known to, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job does not get an answer to why his suffering happened. God doesn't tell Job what this was for, why this happened. But what Job gets is a glimpse at just how majestic and wonderful and powerful is his God. And then what does Job do? Job submits to God. And that's our third point. Job submits to God. God proved that he is in perfect control. And Job is able to submit to God because he can trust that God is going to still be in control. That God's perspective is so much greater than Job's that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, with our suffering, why does suffering happen? I don't know the answer to that. But I also don't know the answer to the patterns of goats' reproductive habits. And I also don't know how the foundation of the earth was laid and I don't know how the constellations are held together. And what we see is that Job realizes, God, you have given and you can take away. And I'm going to trust that you are good regardless. And what happens is that God restores Job's health God actually restores all of Job's possessions and gives him double of what he had before. So he now has 14,000 sheep. He now has 6,000 camels. He has 1,000 oxen. He has 1,000 donkeys. He gives him children. But what I think we need to realize is that 
God restoring all of his possessions is not the lemonade of this story. If we're looking at what do we do with the lemons that God, or that this life hands us, we can look at this and say that God, or Job was faithful, Job was honest, and Job submitted to God. And so because he did that, God blessed him and gave him lemonade from his lemons and restored all of his things. But that's moralism, right? We just talked about that. That God did not do this as a test and then reward Job with this gift once he passed the test. God gave to Job because he could. God blessed Job because God is full of blessings. And he has the right to do as he pleases. He was not giving it to him as his lemonade, but I believe that with the lemonade for Job in this story is the peace in knowing that God is in control. Job's lemonade, that sugar added into that difficult situation, is that he can submit and trust and put his faith in God Almighty because he can handle it that God has been here from the beginning. He will be here till the end. And just like everything else in the universe, Job can know that his suffering has a purpose. And he doesn't know what that is, but God is able to control it. God is able to handle it. Job couldn't see what the purpose was. But we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God not only works things out for our good, but he works them out for his glory. Ultimately, it wasn't Job's good blessings that came about this story that were awesome. It was the fact that God was glorified. It's the fact that Satan just knew that Job was going to curse God. That Satan in front of the heavenly host, in front of all the heavenly realm said, God, if I take this away from Job, he's going to curse you. And God said, go ahead. And what happened? Job glorified God because he honored him and blessed his name. And so in front of Satan and in front of the angels, they celebrated and they said, take that, Satan. God is good and Job was faithful and God is now glorified because of that. And there was a moment when Job forgot who God was. I think that's important for us to realize. In our suffering, we may forget who God is. We may forget that he is good. We may forget that he has hung the stars in the sky. We may forget that he loves us and he is able to handle our suffering and there will be, it is for our good ultimately. Because there is nothing in heaven or under it or in the earth or under it that God is not in perfect control of. He has every fine detail and he is managing it exactly the way that he wants to manage it. And I know that that's hard to hear. I know that if you are struggling right now that that is hard to hear that God is seeing you struggle and he's allowing it to happen. But just as Job, we need to come before God and realize that he is in control, that he is mighty, that he knows higher than what I know. Um, 
I think when I, when I read things like this, I think of like a little kid going to the grocery store, right? Um, I know all you parents have probably gone to the store and your three-year-old um, starts crying out that they want this toy and they throw a fit if they don't get it, but they don't even know how to count money, but they're going to tell you how you need to spend your money, right? Um, I think that that's oftentimes what we look like when we go before God and we tell him that he's doing things wrong. And we try to move God off of the throne that he's been sitting on for eternity and we try to place ourselves on it. And guess what? That throne is too big for our britches. We can't handle that. So what is the purpose of Job's suffering? We don't get that answer. But I believe that through his suffering, Job was able to see God in a more real light. He was able to see God as a bigger, more powerful being than what he had before. Because of Job's suffering, we are able to read this book and we are reminded of the majesty of God. And because of the majesty of God, it calls us to then worship him because he is the greatest. He has created all and he has sustained our lives and every blessing that we have is from him. So maybe the point of Job's suffering was for us to realize that we are called to worship God. But another thing that I think the book of Job does is the story of Job points to another story of a suffering servant of God. Because the story of Job points to the story of Jesus. That there was a man in the land of Galilee whose name was Jesus, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Jesus undeservedly, undeservedly suffered and in his suffering, Jesus remained faithful to God. Even in the pain and the struggle and the beating and the mocking, Jesus was faithful to God. And not only was Jesus faithful to God, but he was honest with God. Jesus, before he went to the cross, said, God, take this cup from me. Take it from me, God. I don't know if I can do this, Father. I need you to do it. He was honest with God, but what did he ultimately do? He submitted to God. That Jesus said, it's not my will, but it's yours. Be done, Father. So for us, we're called to do the same. We are called to be faithful to God in our struggle. We're called to be honest with God. God does not shy away from your thoughts and your feelings. God welcomes them and says, be honest with me. I can handle it. It's not too heavy for my shoulders. But Jesus was faithful and honest, and he submitted to the point of death on a cross. So just when it made no sense, just when all hope was lost for Jesus' friends and his family and the disciples, when their Savior was put in a grave, it made no sense at all. What could the purpose possibly be for our Jesus to be killed? Well, the purpose was the resurrection that followed. The suffering had to happen so that the glorification could then happen next. 
Because in the resurrection, that is where we find our hope. That's where we find our life. That's where we find our eternity that we can look forward to and we can say that I am forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus was faithful to endure the suffering of the cross, I can now have life. And Jesus was glorified because Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory for eternity. And we have been invited to join him. Guys, that doesn't happen without suffering. You are not always going to be given the reason why suffering happens, but what you can be sure of is that God has a purpose for it. That God is going to use it for your good. God is going to use it for his glory, and he is in perfect control, and he is able to handle it because God is sovereign. Let's remember that Satan is just like Leviathan. Satan is roaming to and fro on this earth, and he is causing destruction. He is causing death. That Satan is supposed to invoke fear in the hearts of mortal men, doing evil all along his path. But just like Leviathan, Satan is on a leash. Satan is only allowed to do what God allows him to do. Satan is only as powerful as God lets him be during this time because we know that in the end, God is victorious. In the end, Satan is defeated. In the end, Leviathan is killed and sinks to the depths of the ocean. And so we can have faith and we can trust God in our suffering. So let's submit and trust in the Lord today. Let's pray. God, I pray that uh, for the person in here struggling to receive this message, for the one who is enduring suffering at this time, for the one who is struggling to understand, God, how you are using this difficult situation for good, Lord, I pray that they would turn their eyes from the suffering and they would focus their eyes on you. How great you are. How mighty you are. And like a child, we bring our cares, our struggles, our worries to you and we say, God, deal with these, Father, because I don't know what to do with them. And I pray that you would comfort them that you would meet them where they are now with your love, with your grace. And Jesus, for the person in this room who maybe for the first time heard of what Jesus has done for them, I pray that they would boldly submit to you, that they would ask you now to be the Lord of their life, that they would pursue you and trust in you to follow you. And today would be a day that they would be saved. So if that is you right now in this moment, I just pray that you would ask Jesus to be your Lord, to be your King, to be your Savior because the struggles of this life are too much for you to handle on, their, on your own. And if you do that, 
you can come grab me after service and I'd love to chat with you about that. Or if you want, you can mark it on your connect card that you want to start a relationship with Jesus and tear that card off and put it in the offering box in the back. And we'll get with you and we'll talk about that. And while that is a difficult decision, while that's a scary decision, it'll be the best decision you will ever make of your life. Put your trust and your hope in Jesus. And Lord, for the believer in this room, I pray that you would meet them in their suffering, that you would give them boldness and the strength, that you would remind us that you are faithful and that you are good, and that we would be able to live in a way that honors and glorifies you, trusting our lives in your hands. And Lord, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.